You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everybody. This is Sean Brace. You're listening to the Mission Lab podcast. I'm without my dear wife today, Camille, but I have a very, very special guest that I am going to be talking with today. I'm turning the tables a little bit because he has had me numerous times on his radio program in Boston, and that is no one other than my dear and now retired. Can I use that word? I don't like it. My retired father. So please introduce yourself, father. Well, I'm Bill Brace, and uh, I am, uh, I guess, retired from pastoral ministry of the past few weeks, And but I don't like the word retired, so I'm trying to work for the Lord in uh, another kind of ministry. I see. Well, we'll get to that very briefly in a moment, but tell us about your pastoral ministry. Where have you been? Where have you pastored? What have you done? Well, I pastored in New England my whole pastoral career, 41-plus years. Uh, part of it, a little bit of it, was down in Providence, Rhode Island, and a few years in Connecticut, and then um, a number, a few years again in central Massachusetts, and then for the past 34 years or so, I have pastored in the greater Boston area. Okay, greater Boston. That's a very easy place to pastor, isn't it? And it to is. To do mission? It is. I, I, I found it to be so easy that I, I felt guilty. Wow, that's impressive. I now, wink, wink, of course. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that a little bit, which is part of the reason why I wanted you on our podcast because this podcast is looking at mission and uh, different ways of doing mission, listening to people's stories and uh, their successes and their failures. But before we do that, I want to make sure that you can get a plug in for your current ministry because you said. You're kind of retired, kind of not retired. What is it that you're doing now? All right. I am. Uh, I formed a 501c3 nonprofit foundation, and uh, it is entitled the Ken and Mabel Brace Foundation in honor of my parents. Um, who And the, the purpose of this foundation is to raise money for Christian education, and especially on the elementary and secondary level. And I have a burden that uh, children have as safe an environment as they possibly can uh, when they're being educated, especially educated on biblical principles, Christ-centered curriculum. And I'm wanting to uh, help with, uh, we might say, Christian schools that are uh, small in nature. And um, I'm interested in helping children who have a difficult time financially to, uh, to uh, be able to um, paid tuition. Their families may not be able to pay tuition. I'm trying to get a scholarship fund going that helps them uh, have the possibility of attending a Christian school. So you're kind of like the Bill Gates of uh, Christian schools, how you're trying to fund some major... Yes, yeah. that's correct. Uh, okay. I don't know uh, Bill Gates. It's Bill Brace, but... Uh, I, uh, I would like to be able to raise, by God's grace and by God's direction, uh, some, some 
uh, monies that will be uh, adequate to help a variety of different schools. All right. So I know there are millions of people listening to this podcast all around the world, and they are just rich in resources. Is there a way, just before I forget, is there a way for them to get money to you? Yes, there is. Uh, we have Do you just, have a website? We don't have a website oh, yet. Boy. We just started about uh, three weeks ago in this effort. And um, so we're developing a website on things. They could make a check out to um, Canon Mabel Brace, M-A-B-E-L, Canon Mabel Brace Foundation, B-R-A-C-E. And I suppose they could put it in the mail and uh, send it uh, to uh, 29 Turner Street, Norfolk, Massachusetts, 02056. 29 Turner Street um, in Norfolk, Massachusetts, N-O-R-F-O-L-K, Massachusetts, 02056. It's a, it's a tax deduction. As I said, it's IRS has granted us this 501c3 uh, status. So I would be delighted. Anything anybody would like to give. All right, very good. Well, that wraps up the podcast for today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's talk about ministry. Uh, for how many years did you uh, were you in pastoral ministry? Uh, a little over 41, and uh, okay. most of the well, no, no, most of it. I would say that I was your traditional pastor for the first uh, eight years. Traditional pastor. Yes. Okay, so. What exactly is a traditional pastor? Well, you have a congregation, and you are the overseeing pastor for that congregation. And uh, I think most people listening to this, Sean, would understand that it's uh, a calling that is a very wonderful calling, but ministry primarily to the congregation, and of course, some to the community as well. Okay. You said mostly to the congregation, some to the community. So at some point, you transition to a more evangelistic type of ministry, right? I did. I felt God calling me to go to an area that's uh, highly secular and uh, to try to plant new churches. Ah. As much as I enjoyed the traditional pastoral ministry, I wanted to be able to go places where perhaps there, what, there was a need in the community for uh, new church plants, new congregations. Okay. And as probably those who have been listening to previous podcasts know, uh, I am a part of the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, and uh, Seventh-day Adventism was uh, started basically here in the Northeast in New England and New York. Um, So you planted Seventh-day Adventist congregations because there's not a very healthy uh, uh, membership here as far as numbers go and there's not a lot of Seventh-day Adventist churches, and you felt called to start new ones. And where did you do that? Uh, Greater Boston, in the in the suburbs of Boston. And uh, there were, of course, a number of Seventh-day Adventists, but in, I think probably New England would be the most sparsely settled as far as Seventh-day Adventist congregations in, uh, in the United States. And that's true, of course, of just Christianity in general that's right. when it comes to more... Bible-based uh, religions, uh, Bible-based denominations. Um, so let's just get right in. How how did you find the work of raising up new churches and uh, evangelism when it comes to Boston, the greater Boston area? Well, Boston, of course, is very secular, um, as is all of New England. 
I think uh, surveys and research tell us that. They've been telling us that for the last 20, 30 years, um, that uh, there are a lot, a lot of people, percentage-wise anyway, in the Boston community who have an interest in the Bible. And um, so to go to a, a, a community and to try to arouse an interest in the Bible is a challenge. And, uh, you know, where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. But the thing is, you, you do a lot of praying because there's just a majority of people who don't have an interest in attending a church. <laughs> a church, okay. Um, so I was just reading an article recently by a fellow, and he said, New England, the new mission field in the United States. And I just thought to myself, you're a little late to the game, uh, friend. You know, it's it's not the new mission field. It's been this way for a while. But more and more people are recognizing the need in this part of the country uh, for mission and for evangelism and church planting. So what were some of the approaches? And, and I'm hoping that this will be a tell-all here where you don't hold back. You're now retired. You're not employed by any denomination. Um Tell us, what, what were some of the methods that you utilized, and how did they work? Before I tell you those yes. things, a little sidebar here. Sidebar. On my radio program in Boston, I use sidebars. Sidebars, okay. And so the, the, a story I, that, that I think uh, would reinforce what you've said about uh, Boston and its secular challenges is that a number of years ago, I was looking for a church building to rent. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to the pastor of this uh, evangelical church, and he told me of a very famous, who a, a man who became a very, very famous preacher. If I mentioned his name, 95% of the people listening right now, I don't care where they are, would know this person's name. He's become huge. And what I didn't know was that when he first started his pastoral ministry, he came to Boston. He was uh, a graduate of a seminary in the Southwest, and uh, is known now because he's got radio and television programs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're really trying your hardest to not to have tell everyone you. know who it is, but not that's say right. The name. Yes, okay. correct, I even, I, correct. I don't know who you're talking and, about. And so, and so uh, he said, you know, he, uh, he when he first came out of seminary, he pastored here in this very church. I thought, wow, that that's interesting. And he said, he he, he said, uh, told the the present pastor, he said, the best view of Boston. I ever had is when I was leaving town finally and saw the city in my rearview mirror. Oh my! Okay. So, <laughs> so why, why did he say that? Uh, because he felt it was just uh, he was knocking his head against the wall or something. I guess it wasn't very fruitful for him. Yeah. While he was in Boston, you, and you've uh, not found that to be the case, though. Well, uh, you know what? One precious soul. You know the old Jewish expression, right? Save a soul, save the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, that was it. I went to Boston and uh, back in 1983 and began then uh, planting a church. I was on the west side of the city Mm -hmm. uh, in the Burbs and uh, raised a congregation up there, then went to the south side of the city raised a congregation up there, and then I went to the southwest side of the city, and um, there is a uh, modest congregation that has been planted there. Mm-hmm. So um, 
in addition to that, I was also doing traditional evangelism in other areas traditional. of Massachusetts, New England. What do you mean traditional? Well, holding, uh, advertising, you know, radio or television and sending out information, brochures, flyers. flyers that's yeah. right. Trying and saying, you know, Bill Brace is coming to town and uh, come on out to hear him preach. He's going to preach on the Word of God and on prophecy. And so I would do that and hold uh, evangelistic series that would last uh, four to five, six weeks. And to be fair, there was a number of people that would attend these meetings and they uh, gave their heart to Christ, right? That's right. That's right. In fact, uh, uh, people who have become my dear friends ever since from uh, 35 or 30 mm -hmm. years ago. But um, it it was somewhat frustrating, to be well, honest with why? you. Why? Why do you say that? Uh, because it's difficult to minister to people and see them uh, have their lives turned over to Jesus Christ in such an environment. Now, we still see we still see some of these famous evangelists, right? That are going here, going there, and they're turning out tens of thousands of individuals in New England. Well, not in New England, not in New England. Most of these famous evangelists, I don't care what church it is, what denomination it is, they kind of treat um, New England like a plague. <laughs> it's like we've got leprosy here, and they don't want to get too close to it. So um, it's not the same in New England as it would be in the Bible Belt or in the Midwest or in the Far West. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So every place has its challenges. Let's yeah. let's do, recognize do that. You, yes, every place has its challenges. Um, do you feel as though those methods of evangelism did a good job at creating disciples? Uh, really, I would have to say in that environment, if yeah. I were grading it, I'd give it maybe as far as making disciples, I'd give it maybe a C or a D. What do, what do you mean in that environment? Um, well, what you do is that you win someone to Jesus Christ, and then they become a person in your church and your congregation. And uh, but they, uh, you know, maybe they're involved with uh, leading out in the music section of the worship service, and maybe they're an usher or they're a greeter or whatever it they may can, be. They can deke with the best of them. Yes, right. With the best but of them. but that's right. But to really be out in the community. And ministering and witnessing for Jesus Christ, it's not near as effective as it should be. Do you feel as though, and I'm leading the witness here, it's not as though we you know, haven't coached, we haven't talked about these things very frequently over the last year or so. Um, do you feel as though the method itself lends itself to creating more consumeristic, uh, you know, Disciples, so to speak, or not disciples at all. Yes, disciples. I mean, non-disciples. That's what it leads to. Um, this, and, is not uh, to this is not to put down any people that nope. were brought in that way. That's or, right. I mean, we've talked before. Brought to the Lord. That's right. Your dad was That's right. To, to the Lord through Lord, that, kind of, uh, that. that kind of methodology. And many That's people right. have been. It just, yes, you're talking now 60 years ago. Yeah. And uh, that was more the, the the method that was utilized in in churches, evangelical churches that wanted to grow their congregations. Yes, and there are still many that do it today. Yes, um, and there's you know we're not being critical of anyone, no, but it just doesn't seem to have the drawing power that it once did, especially in more secular cultures, right? 
That is correct. And and the thing is that there's a tremendous time, money, and energy mm. uh, that is uh, committed to that kind of thing. But it's it's time and energy and money where you only have a few people involved. Mm. It's sitting there or it's, uh, you know, you're in the background and the preacher is the... Uh, the center of attention, and uh, th- that's pretty much you know a one man, one woman role. Mm. Yeah, so it re- it doesn't require much uh, surrender from the average person in the pew. There, we might ask them to invite their friends to the meeting, right? And they and and we might say, hey, come to the meeting, uh, you know, three times a week. Or come to the worship gathering once a week and invite a friend, but that doesn't necessarily equate to life transformation to the degree that each member is trying to submit their lives to Christ daily. Right, and and uh, you know as we've talked before, um, it it kind of causes individuals to be more of a consumer role or a stand uh, you know uh, just a uh, standby kind of kind of role and um, the person who is helping or is doing the inviting or whatever they're not really growing either all mm. that much they're not really yeah. growing they're 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 trying to you know be supportive of the person who is the central character in the whole mm. center, the whole narrative mm-hmm. which is the preacher yeah now we've we've talked before uh, about how you, if you were to tell some people, like even within your congregations that you were pastoring, that these types of methods don't work, they would look at you like you had seven heads, because oh. traditional church is what has worked, and and we're not even talking about necessarily a, a racial thing so much as a native born. Uh, issue where it doesn't matter what race you're you're a part of the reality is native born populations second third generation uh people it it's not the traditional methods aren't aren't working Uh, that's true that's very true so um you know methods don't save people but you want to be as effective as you possibly can and uh, you want to be um, you, you want people to grow in their discipleship and in their ministry. And when it's you just inviting someone to come, hey, come to my church, come to my gathering, come to my worship service, that's good. That's good. But you're not really growing into a disciple when that's primarily what mm-hmm. your your role is. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you're right. Uh, that crosses all socioeconomic barriers or crosses all segments of our society. Um, we say, well, this ethnic ethnicity or this language group, they seem to have great success. Well, if, if you take a closer look, you'll see that um, it's not quite that way. Mm. It's, it's mostly a native-born versus immigrant uh, disparity is what I what yes. find. And again, not to diminish the importance of that, but your congregations largely... Uh, became more uh, less native born and more immigrant based, and again, that's not to say it's not a not to diminish it, not to or diminish denigrate it, it, but no. the reality is, we've we've been using the same approach for 
many years and decades, decades, generations. And we've not kept pace with the way of the culture around us. So how do how do we remain biblically faithful and yet culturally relevant? Well, that's the question of the day, isn't it? That's the question of the generation. And um, what is necessary is no matter what the ethnicity, what no matter what the the gender, uh, socioeconomic situation, uh, people need to be trained how to minister to their own unique community. Mm, okay, I like that. Mm. So, if you were, uh, you know, starting from scratch today, what would you do? I would uh, do a hundred and eighty degree turn from what I had been doing which, as we've already described, mm -hmm. uh, was the, the methodology. And I would start, first of all, I would be trained myself, mm -hmm. more, more imbued with the idea of doing like small groups and getting intently into the community to, to minister to people mm. rather than just seeing if I can get them to come to my congregation or my worship service, mm -hmm. but uh, to, to care for them, to meet their needs and uh, to do it not on a big grandiose, you know, uh, environment or, or atmosphere, but just one-to-one -one or small groups um, have attraction because uh, people today, you know, no matter what, they're, they're feeling unfulfilled and so often they need someone to come close to them, not just one day a week, but to be involved in their in their lives and being there to to help them when they need help and ministering to them. And I think so many people are still lacking, feeling empty, mm. feeling mm. empty. Mm. Or if they appear to be successful, when you get close to them, you sense that they have needs like everybody else does. Mm. Uh, you know, a nice home, a uh, a BW, what I would call a beautiful wife, mm. um, or a wonderful husband, um, whatever it may be, you know, a, a, a wonderful high-profile um, job or, or um, what we call a, a calling, they're still hurting. Or if they're not hurting, they still need somebody. People need friends. Mm. And to be a friend just one day a week, that's not what Jesus would do. Mm. Jesus was... Mm -hmm. You know, we talked before about the need for the incarnated gospel, mm. the incarnated mm. gospel. Mm. People need to see the gospel in us. So how, how are we going to, how, how are, how is the gospel going to flourish on Beacon Hill? Let's get specific. Beacon here. Hill, Beacon Hill in Boston. Who, what's Beacon Hill? Beacon those? Hill in Boston is where the, well, the blue bloods live. The blue bloods, the, the people Brahmin. who, the, the Brahmin, the the people who can trace their history back to the Mayflower. That's Beacon Hill in in Boston. And I don't think there's a lot of evangelicals living in Beacon Hill, Boston, and uh, some other places that you could say. And in every city, every city has its blue bloods. Every city has its aristocracy. Every city has its elite. And how to reach them? How many how many people from Beacon Hill came to your uh, evangelistic meetings? Uh, you mean of the many that I did yes. in, in Greater Boston? Yeah. Well, let me let me count. Uh, I don't think anybody. Nobody. 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 Just weren't touching them. Just, Just the weren't flyer touching. Wasn't the flyer, the radio enough. program, you know, those kinds of things. 
it, uh, to be honest with you, in terms of the, that segment of people, uh, we would give that kind of thing an F. So this is what I think needs to happen to reach Beacon Hill. Okay, you. I'm ready. I came with the answer. Oh, you came with the answer. I Go for it. Answer. Go for it. We need highly mission-minded people who already travel in those types of circles who have affluence that would go and move to Beacon Hill. I, I, we have friends that I'm thinking of right now who I think have enough money to move to Beacon Hill and to incarnate the gospel there and, and have that as their mission field. You're not going to do it by sending in flyers to go to meetings uh, some other location. You need people who are living there in the community to reach Beacon Hill. Okay, I, I now, can't now, do it. You're, like, you're using you're, you're using Beacon Hill as a euphemism here because when you talk literally about Beacon Hill, you know it's an association, right? Yeah, but and you can't get in there without an association allowing you to come. So let's just say you had ten million bucks right now and you wanted to buy a condo on Beacon Hill, you'd have to go through hoops and everything yeah, but else. But euphemistically, well, I mean, Beacon I Hills. mean euphemistically and literally. I think I, don't, I think they allow. You know, it's not like there's a there's an impossibility of getting in there. But well, anyway, when we go off air, we'll talk a bit more about never, it. Nevertheless, anyway, yes, nevertheless, yes. Yeah, you, you need people to go in there and live in that environment. Yes. That's right. You 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 need to you need to be there. You can't just go and you know go in one day a week and uh, have a meeting someplace talking about the Lord and whatever. Inspect that they're going to show up. No, you've got to be there. It's got to be a lifestyle. It's got to be a commitment that I'm here, twenty four seven. I'm going to make friends. I'm going to see how I can help people, but uh, or befriend people. But just going in there and out, you know, like a Whatever. Now, I mean, we could go on for hours with this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that my children may come into our house at any moment. As you know, we we tape this, li- you know, live and in studio from uh, our living room. Not really in studio, obviously. This is the real mission life, mission lab, mission field. Uh, but so, my question was going to be, which I've I think I've forgotten. Uh, uh, what was my question going to be? Well, I thought you were, talk- what were you saying? You're talking about um, Beacon Hill. Yeah, and how, Beacon do you reach, Hill. how do you reach, how do you reach Beacon Hill? Beacon and I think Hill. you were telling us about how the people going oh, there. Oh, here to- it was. What would you say to the person, though, who says, oh, we can't live in cities? Because in our particular denomination, there's been a, a uh, an aversion. Get out of the city and, of the the city and, and, and isolate yourself yeah. and make sure you smell the roses and, we, and we need have to a garden have and all that. that. That's a good idea. But no, there are certain kinds of people. I wouldn't, I would never suggest that so-and-so with uh, three or four kids at the age of five or six would necessarily Beacon Hill. But there are other people who can do that, that already have, maybe they've got adult children, maybe they're just husband and wife or whatever. They can go to these places that are equipped to minister. They've got, they've got a, a, a lifestyle and a, a a position that allows them to be in that kind of an environment, and but still, again, I would not recommend. I don't think God is calling many individuals who have got little children to go into the midst of of Beacon Hill or downtown here, downtown there. I think there is a way that can be done. 
but it's not for everybody. Hmm. Maybe that's not what you wanted to hear. No, no, but. it's fine. I, I, because you know, I've thought about uh, ministry um, someday. You know, the idea of going into Boston that way, way down the road, if the Lord does not return in a hundred years. But I thought about that as well. Like, how could I have my kids living in Boston? First, of course, first of all, I would never live in Beacon Hill because. I don't. Have I don't think your salary is. I any, don't think my salary uh, will get me would, there. Wouldn't get you but, one uh, day. A even there. even other places, um, you know, how do you when you have little kids? But um, I know I do have friends that live like in Manhattan as a pastor who have kids, and and uh, somehow it, it it it's worked out. I think, but um, but yeah, there's there's been a traditional view that says, oh no, you can't live in the cities. But the reality is, you're not going to reach people from a distance and that's not what Christ did. He didn't come for mission visits. He lived for 30 years anonymously basically for 30 years and then he for three and a half years lived and, and dined and uh, you know slept under the roofs of, of those he was trying to reach. So incarnation I believe is one of the key ingredients of mission and uh, and reaching people and blessing and serving them. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. So, so I was going to ask you another question as well, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to wind this down because we don't want to go for too long with these episodes. Um, but, you know, how do you, how, as, as you look at your ministry, and this is kind of a personal question, how do you evaluate it, you know, in light of this idea that maybe you would do things differently today? Well, I, well, I would do di- things differently. Well, I mean, do you? Is there? Do, I mean, do you that, look back and say, "Oh boy, man, I didn't do it the right way," or do you just, you know, you feel at peace because God blessed you were doing the best you knew how, or was it that back then the methods were fine, but today they wouldn't work? Um, well, every generation is a different method. Every uh, every generation is different. Every generation has different interests. And we're in a whole different age today, radically so than it was 35 years ago. Mm. And um, but if I, as I look back, I would do some things differently. I would be more involved in in, in uh, what we call missional opportunities, uh, communities. Um, I don't know if I would move into the city with those small kids, you being one of them. But um, there are people that you can train to do that that have opportunities. And a different lifestyle and different, uh, like I said, uh, there are many people who have adult children or their children are older or they don't have any children, et cetera, et cetera, or single individuals um, to train them. There's a lot of training that needs to go on. And that's something that if I were starting all over again, I would pursue fastidiously. Mm. And I would, um, but I look back. And I guess I say it, 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 it is what it is. I, um, I, I wish I had done things differently to some degree. Um, if I were doing it all over again, I'd go that route that we described here. But hopefully God used me to some little degree, some little way, and um, that that could multiply. Mm. But, but you know what? There's no doubt about it that the Lord said, make disciples. Mm. You can't, you cannot ignore that. And, uh, you know, when you make disciples, it uh, is exponentially, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm glad the Lord let me do what I did. I've been richly, richly blessed. When you're working for the Lord, when you're ministering for the Lord, you always get back hundredfold more than what you give. Mm, Amen, amen. Well, I assure you that your ministry was very, very successful. Uh, You know, we may not always see it here on this earth, but uh, there are many people whose lives you touched and God used you, and we praise the Lord for that. And, of course, you've touched my life uh, exponentially using that word. Uh, So praise the Lord for that. And uh, anything else before we wind down? Because this is probably a little longer than we've usually I see. No, I, I appreciate. I thank you for letting me be on your program. It's been an honor it's to not be a here. Program. It's well, a, it's a podcast. Yeah, uh, uh, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you, Sean, for letting me be on your podcast. Yes, it's absolutely. been a privilege and an honor, and uh, hopefully, it can help a little bit. Thank you very much. Well, I think we'll wrap it up for now. I'm sure we'll have opportunity to visit with my dad again now that he is retired. I hate that word. He has a little time on his hands. A little more time, not, not a little, you know, he's still very busy with life, but uh, with we'll ministry, probably, with ministry, with ministry and life. But we'll, we'll no doubt have you on here again. But thank you for your observations. And uh, they're very good and appropriate. Thanks for listening, guys. We will look forward to catching you at our next episode. So thanks for listening to Mission Lab. We're signing out from my living room or office or whatever this thing is in my house in Bangor, Maine. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.